Hello and welcome to a special edition of Panels, a collaboration between LCC Media and TheStride.ca. This special edition was hosted by Bobby T. We hope you enjoy listening. Hey, what's up, everybody? Hope everyone is doing good. Thank you so much for joining us for this amazing conversation that we're going to be having. As this is going to be sort of the icing on the cake for Black History Month, I'm super happy to have this amazing panel of individuals um, from all across Alberta and Canada um, to just have a discussion about sort of Black history and what does it mean to everybody who's at this um, kind of table today. And so before we jump right into this conversation, because I'm so excited to really unpack some of value, some quick little housekeeping rules and tips, uh, as we kind of go through this discussion and conversation, if you have questions, please immediately um, populate that into wherever you're watching this, whether it's on YouTube, I believe this might be going live on Facebook or also on Zoom. So just again, populate those questions um, as you see fit. And then at the last kind of half an hour for this discussion and conversation, we're gonna be going through each questions. And so if you have questions directed to an individual on the panel, feel free to have that, or if it's for everybody, um, again, just populate that into the chat function and we'll kind of keep this conversation going. And then last but not least, please, it's social media. One of the most valuable and most powerful things that we can do is share. So if you could please share this conversation to people, email it out quickly, tweet it out, send it on Instagram, add it to your story so that we can just sort of expand this conversation and let a lot more others join and be part of this awesome conversation. So to jump right into things, um, I want to welcome all the panelists to this discussion. Um, I'm excited for you to tell us a little bit more about yourself. And so if you could, please give me about a one to two minute introduction about yourself. And then also, what are you currently working on um, kind of going into this new year um, as 2022 is just starting? So let me start off with Tomi, if you could please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, what you're working on and what's going on into 2022. Hi, um, so yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and I'm excited for this conversation. Um, so my name is Tomi. Um, I am the editor-in-chief of Afros in the City. And Afros in the City is a new media collective dedicated to amplifying Black voices in Mokinsis, also known as Calgary. Um, so in terms of what I'm working on right now, I'm actually currently a master's student studying public policy at the University of Calgary. And um, I'm really looking forward to taking that knowledge of sort of these institutions that govern um, and applying that to what we're working on with Afros in the city and being able to communicate and take a really critical lens um, to these institutions um, and kind of unpack some of these systems and policies that govern our day-to-day -day lives. So um, that's kind of what we're working on right now. We're also working on growing Afros in the city and bringing it to new mediums, um, including hopefully audio. So yeah, that's kind of what's getting me excited. <laughs> Tommy, that is so awesome. I'm excited to kind of learn more um, about your work, especially when it comes to sort of that policy development. Um, that is essentially a bedrock. It's a foundation for some of the changes that we're all working towards. So I'm excited to learn more and unpack those details. Um, moving on to Adora, if you could please introduce yourself, uh, share us where you're coming from and, and where do you reside and also uh, what are you working on for the new year? Uh, my name is Adora Wolfart, and I'm born, raised, and still living the racism dream in beautiful Calgary, Alberta, Canada. 
Uh, I prefer to call it Mocanthus because this is Turtle Island. And uh, I'm a comedian, so I'm going to continue to work on comedy, performing. I am right at this moment developing an open mic for a thing that uh, comedians call punch-up comedy, which means that people who may be in the margins or are oppressed or don't really get a chance to do comedy uh, that makes them feel safe can find a space to say whatever they want. Uh, and usually speaking on subjects that they don't have a lot of authority over. So I'm working on that as a open mic. I would love to develop it into a workshop where we work out these jokes and then present them eventually at the end of the year. Outside of that, always president of Black Lives Matter, always trying to amplify Black voices, create spaces for them, and make sure that they know that there is somebody on their side, whether they are considered the good ones or people like me who are labeled as extremists, radical, and terrorists. Um, <laughs> it's always nice to be super cute and then distract and dismantle. <laughs> Adora, um, first off, I, I, I find it fascinating um, and I want, I'm excited to explore more about sort of your comedian take around sort of topics, but also I, I'm excited to dive deeper into your last points about how uh, we how we're positioned sometimes into different lights. So depending on that narrative, depending on who's talking about the work that we're doing in one light, it's this, another light, it's that. And so I'm excited to have you part of this panel and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then last but not least, Greg, if you could please introduce yourself, uh, tell us a little bit about where you reside and what has you busy these days. Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Greg Frankson. I'm also known in poetry circles as Ritalin. I am based in the town of Whitby, just to the east of the city of Toronto here in the greater Toronto area where I grew up. I'm straight out of Scarborough. And even though you took the boy out of Scarborough, you cannot take Scarborough out of the boy. Uh, so what have I been up to? Well, um, I'm kind of focused on achieving three main goals pretty much from now until they put me in the ground. The first one, is around building. So it's about building community, building connections, um, building uh, capabilities, building abilities for folks, uh, depending on wherever they're at and, and, and the things that they're working on. The second thing is around publishing. And so when I'm doing that, it means all about this, African Anthology Perspectives of Black Canadian Poets, which uh, I edited and, and has poets from coast to coast, some of the biggest names like Olive Senior and uh, George Elliott Clark and uh, Fua Cooper, Wade Compton, um, you know, Evelyn C. White, who wrote Alice Walker's biography, uh, you know, uh, Rodney St. Eloi and some others in, in Quebec. All of these voices gather together in poetry and in prose, talking about their experiences and their journeys in Black skin as Black people and artists in this country. And that is sort of the seed of what I envision for 
a national not-for-profit that's working on similar types of projects called Africanthology Canada, which kind of leads into the third piece, which is around legacy. And what is the kind of legacy that we're going to leave behind that we create, gather together and amplify for the benefit of people who are around today and for our kids and our kids' kids. So that's really what I'm, I'm really dialed in on in 2022. I just released my book of poetry in November called Cerebral Confections, and I'm working on my first creative nonfiction book, which is called Alphabet Soup, which is due out next year. So I'm continuing to work on building, publishing, and leaving legacy. Huge, Greg, and thank you so much for sharing um, all of those assets and items around. You know, I, I think it's super important more than ever for all of us to start the process of creating our own platforms, creating our own narratives and taking control in that. And to see you bringing that to fruition within your space and industry is phenomenal. So I'm excited to learn more about what's in those books and also in um, sort of your vision around sort of bringing that legacy. So thank you so much. Um, so as we're about to kind of start again, just a reminder for everyone listening in and tuning in, please, this is a great opportunity for you to ask those questions that you might wonder, ask those questions from all of our panelists in terms of their lived experiences. And the bigger topic, the bigger theme of what we're trying to unpack today is kind of that Black perspective and that Black sort of point of view when it comes to sort of history as a whole. And so as we're now going to sort of jump right into things, I would love, uh, Greg, for if you can kick us off. Looking back, um, especially of us just coming off of February, I really want to know sort of what does Black History Month mean from your perspective and what does that look like kind of moving forward? Well, I think first and foremost, Black History Month means that I'm going to be busy, I'm going to have work and that March rent will be paid. That is the first thing that Black History Month will mean. And I start with that specifically. I Start with that intentionally. There's a point to what I'm trying to make there, right? Which is when I talk to folks about this time of year, I say, listen, I am in the middle of what I refer to as Black people high season. It starts Martin Luther King Day and then it ends March 21st. So we still in it. We're sitting here on a panel talking about blackness in the middle of Black people high season because this is what happens. Folks get themselves focused on what we're about and what we're doing for that eight week period, folks are real lit up about it. The rest of the year, not so much. And so to me, what Black History Month represents is a fail safe, fall back, comfortable position for our society to say, we've got a, we've got a slot. And with that time slot is when we talk about blackness and what we're in that time slot, and we feel good about talking about blackness during that time. And, you know, when we can reflect on, you know, the Underground Railroad and the legacy of slavery and how civil rights came to black folks. And maybe we'll talk about some of the other things that actually have something to do with Canadian black history. Maybe we'll get around to that. But now those are the three things we really want to talk about. And, yeah. you know, and and then the rest of the year, we just kind of have to hope for the best and, you know, and and struggle essentially, especially for those of us who are creative professionals, to struggle to have the kind of, of prominence and activity that we have during that time frame. And so for me, what I see is 
Black History Month needs to become a Black History 365. People talk about this all of the time, but it's a reality. And I have ideas about how to make that happen, but we need to stretch that time period out so that folks are thinking about Blackness year-round, that Black folks are thinking about how they can position themselves on that year-round, and how we can all work together and collaborate to elevate that throughout the entire calendar year and not just from late January until the beginning and halfway through March. I, Greg, I, I, I have to applaud you for that because that is such a real perspective, especially in this kind of modern day world that we live in where we get just prominent with just opportunities, activations, and then it just comes to a screeching halt. And so I have to applaud you for sharing that real perspective of sort of these kind of months and what does it mean from your perspective. So thank you so much for that. No worries. Uh, Adora, um, kind of in a similar vein, I really would love to hear sort of what is your perspective and experience of sort of what does Black History Month sort of mean to you? And sort of what does that look like in terms of your activations or what gets you excited or what are moving forward into the year? Yeah, uh, similar to Greg, Black History Month. Everybody knows who's Black that month. Everybody is looking for people to put in extra energy and effort. But for me, Black History Month is celebration because I'm Black every day. Um, and so if we're going to highlight it, why shouldn't I enjoy it? And uh, I am slightly different because I am involved with uh, women's movements. So January starts off running fast all the way to the end of March. And I don't necessarily get to talk about Blackness the whole time, but I'm Black, so I will. And uh, quite frankly, as of recent, probably since um, uh, in 2020, <laughs> busy, 2021, out of this world busy. Mm -hmm. I had no downtime. Uh, and so was I celebrating? No. But probably about 2018, I decided that Black History Month for me, celebration, and I want to talk about Black Futures. So Black Futures Month. And the reason being is because, again, I'm Black 365. And I feel like Black History Month is really focused on the narrative of Blackness from the Black American point of view, which is very important. Uh, however, I get to be Black and we get to talk about Black as a whole history. So there are so many things that we can talk about at, outside of the transatlantic slave trade experience. We should really be talking about all kinds of Blackness. I'm lucky enough to be Afro-Caribbean and Canadian. I call myself a Nigerian, Nigerian, Jamaican, and Canadian, all three and nothing less. And so for me, I'm, I'm saying this here so other Black people don't have to say it. If you don't book me personally, other Black people, please feel free to do whatever you like. If you don't book me by mid-December, I'm not coming during Black History Month <laughs> at all. Um, if we have not started that process and finished it by the middle of January, there's no way I'm showing up because I feel like Black people need to start focusing on themselves. And Black History Month has really been surrounded in educating uh, people of privilege or white folks or 
I'm not going to say the rest. It stays in my head. Um, and why? <laughs> why? Why am I doing all of that for whiteness that really is only connected to power and does not want me to have any of it? So uh, for me, it's me and Black people having a celebration and figuring out what we want to do for ourselves in February and how we want to amplify that throughout the rest of the year. Happy Black Futures Month. Oh, and I feel like we are doing this on March 4th, which, of course, why not, Dragon? We are not late. We are just <laughs> taking a little extra as we deserve. 100% Adora. And and, and I, I would I would love to actually just to quickly prime you on, on, on two kind of quick follow-up questions. Uh, for the ones who are just not fully aware, if you could, can you dive a little bit deeper on what is this Black Futures Month? Because I know it's it's gotten, it's a phrase that a lot of people actually don't really fully understand. And then number two, I just want to kind of really stick and commend you on the notion that people don't understand how at times taxing Black History Month is for us, you know, Black Canadians, as we're just overwhelmed at times with our daily work, with all of this projects, and the process of educating the people who don't identify as being Black, which is an opportunity, but also a challenge. Because when we have to now put that weight on our shoulders and then unpack at times that emotional trauma or weight with some of the questions, with some of the responses that we're unpacking, it, it, it's it's a challenge. It's And that's a gross understatement. So I just want to highlight that and just stress, thank you so much for pointing this out. But yeah, for the ones who are not fully aware, can you unpack a little bit about sort of what is this Black Futures um, kind of concept and, and, and where... Do you, like, what's from your perspective? Where is that going? Right. So I say Black Futures Month because uh, when you believe in your future, it looks different. When you believe, when you have hope that the future is bright, it looks different. And so if Black people are only focusing on a history that is foundational to our harm and trauma that's continuing, it's sort of hard to feel like there's hope and like we can thrive in future. And quite frankly, if you are black and alive, you are black excellence and your future is bright, even though there will be trauma. And so for me, I like to say black futures month. So black people know that this is not done in 28 or 29 days. I also want uh, white folks to know that we have a future that we should be investing in. We should be paying attention to that. We should be having support to ensure that February 28th or sometimes 29th, that's not the end. And if we are going to be doing something that's focused in Blackness, why only pain? Why am I focused on uh, creating space that makes folks who have privilege over me only because of their skin, comfortable and safe. Nope, we do in brave spaces here. So if you want me to come, get ready, because I'm going to say whatever I want, because I'm <laughs> undeportable. Uh, it's a privilege that I have. Uh, I mean, I also sound like Karen, hashtag not a point of pride. But I feel like if we are having a time where we're focused on ourselves, 
we should be able to decide what we're focused on or what we're doing. And 365 days a year, whiteness can be found in this society, Turtle Island, everywhere, at nauseum. And so why am I focused on making that place better with my Blackness? Why can't I make Black folks better with our collective Blackness? And so, no, I don't want it to be a time of trauma. I don't want it to be a time of running around and we cannot focus on ourselves or enjoy our events because they are being put on to be palatable for folks who may be fragile. I, I don't do that. And so sometimes people don't come to my events, but I can guarantee they are incredible. <laughs> Thank you again, Adora, so much for sharing. And I really love that undeportable. <laughs> so that's awesome. Uh, Tommy, uh, moving on to yourself, uh, would love to kind of learn a little bit more again about sort of what does sort of Black History Month sort of mean to you from your perspective and um, what gets you excited about it? What do you face as a challenge or kind of what what is your perspective of this month when it comes to Black History Month? Yeah, I think both Greg and Adora have uh, um, expressed so well a lot of the sentiments I feel about this. You know, um, the the like the importance of of Black Futures Month, um, the importance of you know not always borrowing from the African American experience in that narrative and actually telling a distinctly Canadian story. Um, and I think in terms of the I really want to kind of just highlight another aspect of some of the burden that comes with it, because I think Adora really beautifully highlighted the, these two components, this sort of commercial aspect of, of Black History Month and then what it means for us and what it, you know, it, it should or could mean for us. And so I think on that sort of commercial side, uh, some of the, the additional burdens that come with that that maybe um, non-Black folks don't quite understand as much is that we are fully aware that when you call us up, you know, nearing end of January, um, we're fully aware that we are an item on your content calendar. Like we're fully aware that we're there to kind of serve a specific purpose for you. Um, yet in some way, we're, we kind of are tasked with this job of saying, no, I'm here to kind of present some real truth and and kind of act like we're in this together and we're fighting some battle together and together we're going to make a difference. Um, and it's a really kind of odd sort of experience to have. It sort of um, captures, at least for me, a lot of the double consciousness that I'm living in my everyday life anyway. And so I think that that side of it can bring a really strange burden. And so um, I think for me, and partly something that I am really looking forward to when I think about Black History Month, Black Futures Month, is focusing in a little bit more on like, what does this mean for me? How do I celebrate during this month? You know, how can I, um, yeah, make this month really great for me and for my people? Like, what can we do about this? And so I think that's something that's really exciting. And um, I think for me as well, a big piece of that is educating myself on this really distinctly um, sort of, you know, Canadian uh, history, because I think what I grew up um, experiencing and, and hearing about was this story that wasn't mine, but somebody told me it was mine because I was Black. And, you know, they would kind of give me this American narrative and it was supposed to resonate with me. And on, obviously on some scale it does, and in some degree it really does. Um, but I think 
being able to stand up and claim well, what is and what is not my story. Um, I think that's a that's a, been a really important part for me of kind of that celebrating Black History Month and, and Black Future Month. No, that that's 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 so awesome to kind of hear and and it, that's such an interesting perspective because i think at times we we underestimate a little bit about i i don't know kind of like that whole experience and so no that's thank you so much for sharing that point of view and i i kind of have a, a follow-up question um directed sort of at you where uh when it comes to sort of the work that you do in respect to um sort of the editorial work and sort of designing different uh, conversations, designing even to your own voice and putting it out there. I'm wondering, sort of, you could walk us through a little bit about sort of what's that process look like from your perspective, and and kind of possibly for the people who don't fully understand that experience, how important is it to for one to kind of control their narrative or their voice, especially when it comes to sort of that process of at times, I feel like we as a community get edited. Um, in terms of what we can share and how transparent we can be about some of the work that we're doing or stories that we want to share. Yeah, I think that's a really important conversation. And I I, I didn't realize how important it was until a, a few years ago and when I had the experience to kind of tell my story um, for a large platform. And when I kind of went through that editing process and saw how they kind of cut up my words and how they edited it for, edited it for what they felt was flow um, and what they felt was, okay, how do we edit this so that this story flows best? And that's, you know, that's obviously an editor's job. But on the other side, I'm kind of seeing these edits and I'm saying, this is really fundamentally changing what I'm saying, but how could you know? Because you're a white editor and you don't actually understand what I'm saying. You don't understand the nuance um, in these two words that I've put together the way I've put them together. And I think, I'm starting to realize as somebody who's in, you know, that editing position, how important it is to preserve somebody's story and preserve somebody's words. And it's so tricky when you have a job as an editor, um, you don't actually realize how much gatekeeping power you have. And you're sitting mm -hmm. there thinking, I'm editing this for grammar, I'm editing this for flow. But so much of our stories live in how we tell them and not just what we say. It it lives in um, you know, the way we say what we say or don't say what we don't say. And, and I think there are so many nuances there and so many subtleties um, when it comes to storytelling that anybody in that process, in the process of helping you tell your story, helping you create your story, helping edit your story for an audience, um, I think they hold a lot more responsibility than perhaps they realize, especially when those audiences are non-Black people. Um, because as that person in that sort of gatekeeping position, you're thinking, well, how do I, you know, how do we make this story make sense for the audience? And you're not really realizing that by making this story make sense for the audience, you're actually erasing my truth a little bit. And I think that's a really, really serious, um, uh, you know, challenge. And it's a really, if you're going to be in that position, I think it's something that needs to be taken really seriously. No, and thank you so much for sharing that, because I think for a lot of the people who might be listening on to this or watching this later who identify as, as not being black, that is such a fundamental, important like thing to be mindful of so that then you can start the process of going down, um, whether that's around ensuring that you're keeping that 
I guess, story, keeping those words, keeping that um, kind of information as pure as possible without stepping on those stories. And so, no, thank you so much for kind of sharing that perspective. And uh, moving on to yourself, Adora, I can imagine when you're on stage um, and it's it, through our conversations, I've realized quite quickly, um, you are not afraid to kind of communicate mm -hmm. to the fullest extent what you want to express. And I want to kind of get a better understanding of how do we, whether um, us as black community kind of show up as ourselves to be comfortable in, and then also from the perspective of people who don't identify as being black, I'm wondering if you can give them some perspective around why it's important for us to show up as ourselves. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say that I'm courageous because I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm very often afraid of the response that I'm gonna get because it's not often a good response. And uh, the reason I do stand-up comedy is because I can say what I want. I decide whatever I'm saying, and I can change at any moment with the audience, depending on whatever their feedback is. And the reason for me that it's very important to be authentic is because stereotypes. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the first thing that happens when people see me is that I'm 6'1", and now I have blue hair. And so it's seen as a threat. And Black people are very often met as soon as they walk into the room as a threat. Uh, and I'm not. I don't have to be. And self-defense is not violence. Uh, and so it's so important for Black people to decide who and what they are and to feel supported in saying so because our stories are often told for us, decided for us, and then they are told outside of context and made to make us look, uh, take away credit or uh, vilify us or criminalize us. And that is not what we are about. We're the blueprint. We're everything uh, that is good can be attributed to us. Everything that is slightly uncomfortable can be attributed to having the experience of wanting to oppress us. And so when I see black people in the world, <laughs> I show up ahead of them and say anything I want because I know that that now makes it a little easier for them to be maybe a little less palatable, maybe to stand up and say, hey, no, I don't like that that's not who I am uh when people see the blue hair they're like oh that's not in nature I did have a gentleman the other day say to me I love your hair is that real I said it's on top of my head how much more indication do you need that it's mine he did not like that because I right in that moment challenged him trying to take credit away from me a stranger who you you don't have any idea who I am uh, quite frankly, when we talk about Black excellence, Oprah can show up places and people will try and criminalize and vilify and take away her credit. So that's a very powerful person on earth. And if her skin is going to separate her from who she actually is, what she actually does, and what she thinks about herself and her experience, it's ridiculous. 
So it is so important for Black people to tell their stories, represent themselves, uh, and say, tell their stories how they would like. That also means the story is not going to be the same. We are not a monolith. It also means that not everybody's going to like the story. It's not always going to be uh, politically correct. I'm never politically correct. I don't know why that working on. It will not be necessarily what I appreciate uh, or Greg or Tommy or yourself appreciates, but I think it is very important for Black folks to be able to be authentic because we are all on a growth journey. So the folks who don't know about, you know, enslavement or uh, civil rights movement, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. it's time for them to understand. People who don't understand about being an African, it's a continent, not a country. So I'm Nigerian, 400 plus tribes. We will never be doing the same thing. It's really important for me to say how my experience impacts the world, your experience impacts the world because we are intrinsically valuable. It does not matter. We, I want to say I'm a $100 bill because that's the biggest bill that I know. Uh, and quite frankly, it's brown. And so every black person, in my opinion, is at least a $100 bill. And it doesn't matter what we've been through, where we go, what we say, what we do. We are still that $100. Our value is still the same. Uh, and if we can just get folks to understand that we are people and a story before your perceived threat uh, it, it just gets easier and easier to navigate this for myself, for others, uh, because racism harms all of us, quite frankly. So um, I want to encourage Black people, even if your voice is shaking, say it. Uh, and if you are still afraid to say so, please bring me. I will stand behind you and make sure that everybody thinks that I'm the threat, uh, not you. And, and 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 real quickly, there's a quick follow-up, and thank you so much for showing that education, that perspective. But I'm really curious for some of the people who are who are wondering, like, how how did you build that conviction? How did you build that fortitude to show up as you are because you are that hundred dollar bill? I'm an old lady, so I was a black person in Calgary in the '70s. And so every day somebody called me ugly and somebody called me fat, somebody called me too dark or um, the, the N word, you know, at two years old, I knew I wasn't safe and I want to live. And so for me to live, I knew that showing up as the biggest, darkest person on a regular basis, it meant that I have to do more. It's unfortunate. And because I know that, because I'm born in Canada. I'm a Canadian citizen. I have my passport. I know that that's a privilege. And I know that because I did not see people being able to say anything they wanted and fight racism, which is the racism dream, uh, I understood that it is going to be something that I'm going to have to do for other folks. Because I can only imagine the person that I would be if I saw that on a regular basis. If I knew that just because somebody called that Black person bad does not mean that they're bad. Uh, black people are 
we don't have to be unified because white people are not unified and look at all the stuff they're getting done. So quite frankly, uh, I just want black folks to know that if you are doing your best, you're doing the most, even if you're making a mistake, make the mistake because that's how you grow. That's how you find out if you can continue to do this stuff. So uh, I just kept advocating for myself, knowing that hopefully yeah. it's going to help someone else. Oh, Thank you so much for sharing that, Dora, and I totally agree. And for everyone, again, who's listening, uh, feel free to populate your questions. Uh, in the next 30 minutes, we're going to start diving deep into all the questions to answer. But for now, just keep feeding all those questions, and then we're going to go back to those later. Uh, Greg, I, you mentioned before sort of the value of conviction, of sort of creating your own uh, story, having your own legacy. And in addition to that, through your books, um, you are documenting and sharing your experiences, sharing your stories that you want to tell. And I'm wondering if you can kind of fill us in sort of the process of why is that important for us to tell as a community, for yourself to tell and share your stories from your perspective? And also, how can people sort of utilize that skill set, that value of creating and being part of our own narrative? Well, see, that's an interesting question because for me obviously I began you know as a little kid just writing poems for myself and then eventually I got into hip-hop so I would express my writing in music and you know and and I'd be you know I'd drop a flow you know you know with my with my eight bar hook and my 16 bar verses but I would be spitting about what was going on in the world and you know I always was rapping about what was what was up um and you know there'd be the occasional brag song in there, but generally speaking, it was about like what's going on. And then I discovered spoken word poetry and I, and I sort of got into that and, you know, and, and began to compete in slams and to, and to travel internationally doing this work through the sharing of spoken word poetry, not just about racism, not just about my story, but also about, you know, the, the, you know, the mental health issues that I live with as a person who lives with depression, anxiety, and ADHD, and just, you know, and, and being, being open and honest about those experiences. And now as I transfer that over into creating anthology and creative nonfiction, which is sort of where my creative journey has taken me, it's not just about do I get to talk about what I think is important based on what I know, based on my own personal lived experience? It's about what is it that we wish to carry forward as a community of communities? Because as was said, you know, we are not a monolith. We, uh, we have different experiences and different diversities and different challenges. But, you know, in the aggregate, we can tell a story. And so how do we aggregate what is happening within our community and share that out so that people can get a sense of the nuance that Tommy was talking about, so that people can get a sense of the diversity of people even sharing a national uh, ethnic heritage, as, as Adora was saying, that you can be from Nigeria and, you know, and you could be Ogoni, but you are not having the same experience as other folks. You know what I'm saying? Because there are so many different groups that are just in that one country. And then there's dozens of other African countries. And then there's dozens of Caribbean countries. And then there's the experience of what's happening in the United States and Canada and the UK. So 
there's all of this that's happening and the people are moving back and forth between those places. You know what I'm saying? Some folks are living totally. in the States and then moving up here and then they move to the UK and then they're living in Trinidad and then they're living in Ghana and then come back over here and then go over there. And I'm go you know, so people are going all over the place, right? But they're accumulating experiences along the way. You know, they're they're up there getting some bumps and bruises along the way. And they're having some uh, some moments of epiphany and joy and triumph and flourishing along the way. So there's all of this different thing that's going on. So what do we have to do? We have to take it within ourselves to put our stories down. And whether we put them on paper like we do in books, or if we put them into different aspects of social media where they can be accessed by a broad audience, or if we create them into other digital resources that can be shared via email or be posted on websites or whatever that looks like. When we can take stuff that's out of the archive and make it live, or if we can talk to our elders and capture their stories digitally so they never die, mm -hmm. whatever it is that we're doing, we need to aggregate those stories and then project and amplify them through whatever avenue is available to us. Because it is in that way that we get to tell the Black Canadian story. Mm. I'm tired for year about the Underground Railroad, how people are coming up and, and, and arriving in Upper Canada and they set foot on the Upper Canadian soil and they reach the North Star and they're free. Nobody wants to talk about how Governor Simcoe's law did not free the slaves that were already enslaved in Upper Canada and those people are escaping south to freedom. But nobody mm. wants to talk about that in our history. We have to talk about those stories. Nobody wants to talk about that for 150 plus years. Every year on August 1st, they have celebrated Emancipation Day in the community of Owen Sound, Ontario. And people are like, why would they be celebrating that in Owen Sound? Because that was the northern terminus of the Underground Railroad in Ontario. And that is where there are black communities in the Bruce Peninsula who take pride in the fact that they are descended from escaped slaves. And we don't tell those kind of stories in this place. And so that's why I talk about when we stretch it out across the whole year, then you know what we can do? Adore, you're going to love this. We're going to crop up every six months, bro. <laughs> because in Ontario, they have declared Emancipation Month for the month of August. Emancipation Day is declared through the, through the federal parliament for across the country on the 1st of August. We're going to reclaim August for black people then. <laughs> and then we're going to jump off on that because it's a nice month. It's the middle of the summer. <laughs> different, different festivals have been going on. Carabana happens in August, bro. All of this stuff is going on. And so I want that to be a time for us to celebrate, go out of doors, find ourselves in parks, walk up and down streets, have parades, have parties, throw a bashment, whatever you have to do, right? To celebrate blackness and celebrate black culture in this country. And we can then jump off of that and come back around into February when it's cold and everybody wants to be inside. And we can do the studious thing and talk about black heritage, black history, black futures. 
and we can really dial in on that. And then when we're done that in February, we can jump off and say, and now we're going to ramp up towards the celebration in the summertime, bro. And we're going to be telling you all about stuff that's happening all the way up to that. And then when we're done that, we'll come back around and we say, and because we were celebrating, say we come back, you know what I'm saying? And we just make that Full 365 circle. that way. Mm -hmm. But all of that is foundationally rooted in the stories that people are telling about mm -hmm. their ancestors, about their contemporaries, and about what they want their future to look like. Greg, powerful. Thank you so much for that breakdown. And what 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 gets me what what gets me excited and and really distills a lot what or hits home a lot of what you just said is just <laughs> it's more than just a month. And seeing sort of these other channels of celebrations and, 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 and connecting one another and through all of that being interweaved through our stories is, is really that way forward. So thank you so much for going to such great detail around everything. And I think that's awesome. Oh, I want to take this kind of next 15 minutes to kind of really open up and really break down some barriers amongst all the panelists that please just chime in and, and let's keep our kind of conversations or our tidbits to about like 30, 45 seconds, because I want to go through a little bit. But for everyone on the panel, I think when it comes to Black History Month, or more importantly, when it comes to sort of people consuming Black History Month to its full extent, whether it's around the stories that they're hearing, getting exposed to new pieces of information, knowledge that they're not aware of, I'm wondering from your points of views, what are some key pieces of information that people should take in from this information and how can they participate? How can they actively engage um, with the black community in any capacity? If you could just share from your perspectives, what would you think would be a good way for people to engage with this community um, around them when it comes to sort of the black community here in Canada? And maybe we'll start off with uh, Tommy, if you wanna kick us off with that. And please feel free to jump in, um, Adora, and Greg, as Tommy's like kind of wrapping up. Yeah, I would say just really look into the community and find black made stuff and and get get your information from that. Um, you know, it's these these platforms, these larger platforms that you know have a huge audience. They'll use February to kind of like go through their book and you know find the first black person they know and, and hit them up and kind of get their voice and their perspective and i think that's where a lot of people get their black content from so i'd really encourage you to find you know black organizations find find black content find people who are as Tara said black all year round um and can really offer you that you know meaningful perspective and and take again not just one month out of the year no you know and i also and i Sorry, and I also think, you know, just building on what you're saying, Tommy, that folks need to show up prepared. Listen, Black History Month is not my time to take out my, my teacher hat and sit on and teach you about me. That's not what this is about. If you want to find out more about what you've already learned, I'm willing to have that conversation if you show up educated already. So take it upon yourself to find these resources and to tap into them and learn a little something and then come and ask some questions and we can have a conversation about what you've already found out. Like that's a better conversation than show up and tell me, hey, I would really like to know about black people. What can you tell me? That's not the conversation I'm trying to have with you in Black History Month. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I would jump in and say that uh, people need to put their feelings about blackness 
to the side and mm. really understand that you don't know and you don't get it. And maybe that's uncomfortable, but imagine if that's your every day. So this is your moment in time to make these people feel really comfortable. None of this, mm, that doesn't smell good. No, I don't like how this tastes. No, I don't. Why, why does your hair look like that? Stop your bum is shaking. None of those things. You take those back to your house and process them because like your feelings are valid, but not for me to process. Not when those feelings bring up your fragility and then I have to make you feel safe. No, 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 no. This is my celebration. This is my birthday cake. You are not blowing out my candles. And so I would really say, shh. <laughs> if you don't understand, we can have a conversation in March or April or May or June, July. And, you know, if you do feel uncomfortable, that is your moment to know that, okay, this space is not supposed to center me. Is supposed to center these people who don't very often get a time to be centered. So you can leave quietly, find, you know, if you have a black friend who brought you, maybe you tell them, hey, um, I'm going to send you a bottle of wine because I'm leaving. I, I want wine. Whatever folks want, you send it to them. But yeah, don't make yourself the center because whiteness is the center at every moment here. Uh, and that's why we don't have a white people's mind. I'll say that. I'll say that for fun. Thank you so much and for everyone kind of like bringing those like perspectives. In. And I really want to chime in as well because, I mean, it's 2022. It is so easy to follow, find information, be part of developing what we're all kind of articulating in different ways, a relationship so that through this other 12 months of the year, we can support we can engage, we can educate ourselves all around these individuals, around this community. And so I think all of you had such huge value to kind of say around that. And yeah, maybe you, sorry, I just wanted to jump no, on really yeah. quick about what Greg said, because I really, really liked that. You made a really good point. Like, we want to have interesting conversations. Like, we we want to be able to enjoy these conversations, too. And so if you're showing up and every time, you know, we're having a racism 101 conversation, like, that's not fun. Like, that's not fun for us. Like, you know, mm -hmm. we want to we be stimulated. So I love that aspect of, like, yes, like, come educated, come prepared, and and let's have interesting conversations. And I guess to everyone on the panel, it's like, what would be an interesting conversation from your perspectives to have? Um, I think, I think one conversation that I that I have had, which I did find, you know, somewhat mentally stimulating, was why don't you know why? Sorry, more about like the stories that are being told and not being told that come out of the prairies. Because there is this deep and rich history of black folks on the prairies. And so it was one of these things where this person's like, I've, you know, I discovered this story. And I'm like, and it's like, and I had no idea that there were all of these black communities that were based out of out in the prairie provinces. It's like, why don't we learn more about the history of black people on the prairies? I'm like, that's a more interesting conversation for me to have because you've shown up and it's, you've shown me that you've done a little bit of reading. Obviously you don't understand all the issues and you know, the intricacies and nuances, but at least you have the info down, 
right? And you're, and you're asking an interesting question because you're talking about it from your experience of your own schooling to say this was something that was never brought up. And you're really like genuinely interested in finding out, well, why the heck is that the case? And has that changed? And if not, how do we change that? Because this is a really interesting story. And I'd love to learn if there's more of this out there. That's a better conversation for me to have than, hey, man, I heard there were some black people on the prairies who did like some cowboy stuff. <laughs> What's that about? You know what I mean? I'm not trying to have that kind of a conversation. But if you bring it to me in a more interesting way, I'll engage with you in that uh, on that more interesting level. You know what I'm saying, Adora, Tommy, Bobby? You feel me? I, I wholeheartedly feel you because, again, it's about uh, it's about approaching us just in a manner of 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 like, I always use that word relationships. And mm -hmm. and Adora, I, I'm curious from your point of view, especially since you're consistently on a stage, and I'm sure a lot is being thrown at you, like. I'm curious, like, what, what does that look like from you, especially being from Alberta, Prairie Province, um, of, of a kind of like showing up in that fashion? Yeah, I probably, it's probably not going, it's not going to sound nice. Quite frankly, I, I want to have conversations with Black people. I want to have conversations where I find out what Black people are interested in, what they're doing, what they love. Please please, please yeah. don't ask me where I'm from again. Do not ask if you want to know about me. Don't ask me where I'm from. Don't, don't ask me about my hair. Ask me um, what the last interesting book I read or what I want to watch, you know, in the movies or what I'm working on in my life. Those are interesting conversations to me. And the reason I don't like people to ask me where I'm from is because I know that it's going to pigeonhole me into what they think I am rather than allowing me to tell you, you don't get to decide for me. Uh, I also don't like to be asked where I'm from because people don't believe me the first time I say it. And so am I a liar? No, from Calgary, born in Calgary, still in Calgary. Uh, the most interesting, interesting conversations I have with people who are not black is not about how they feel about blackness or how they are uh, their proximity to blackness i want to hear about how they are interesting and so you don't mm -hmm. have to be anything black to be interesting and if it's black history month maybe again <laughs> you don't need to be the person at the center of the conversation I I feel like that's kind, you know, there's times that I know I have to ADHD here too. So I will be quiet, but I really, I really want people to be interested in what I'm saying and ask me questions that will humanize me, that will humanize my experience, not that will make me feel like I need to be defensive or that I'm being criminalized or I have to stand up for everybody black. Uh, everybody black ain't great. Everybody white ain't great. Everybody everything ain't great. And right. so I just want to have the conversations that make sure that I know who you are as a, a human. You know who I am as a human. We're building a relationship. Wow. Uh, 
100%. And again, thank you for that added perspective because I can tell you so many times constantly that I'm quite quiet in the room just because of the room that I'm in. And so if I understand sort of sometimes the importance of me being quiet, because even myself has, I have certain privileges, why can't others, especially people who don't identify as Black, still carry that same weight of understanding that, hey, maybe there's many times that I should be quiet in this room and not be the dominant force to kind of echo or have that one last two sentence. So thank you again so much. Um, so as it's right now, uh, 6.30, we're gonna jump right into Q and A's because I, I think there's a lot of questions. So if you have a question, please just populate that into the chat um, wherever you're watching this. And then we're gonna be able to pull those up and kind of go through one by one. And so I'm going to start at the top where, um, again, Stephen, Thank you for the compliment around our looks and aesthetics. And I think that builds into the framework that we've been saying, like how we're not a monolith, but we actually look different, we come different. So thank you for that kind comment. But the first question that I have um, actually is directed to Tommy. Um, and so maybe, yeah, so there it is right there. Um, from your perspective as an editor, what should editors do to cater to sort of his or hers audience and without losing that narrative of writing? And so, yeah, if you could share a little bit, uh, tell me about that. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I think we need way more Black senior editors. Um, the media landscape in Alberta really needs some work. Um, so I think that's definitely something that, you know, we need to work towards. But, you know, as, yeah, as, as an editor, just kind of being in that position where you have, um, you know, you have somebody's story that you're working with, I think a lot more collaboration is required. I think it's really, really important to work with your writer. And I also think, um, you know, as an editor with this publication, it's really important to ask, like, do I actually want this person's story and this person's perspective? Or do I just want to be able to have said that I made space for racialized voices or, you know, whatever, because that's a really distinct difference. And if you are genuinely wanting this person's perspective and this person's voice, um, then I think it's really, really important to collaborate with them. And when you're kind of looking at their work and saying, OK, maybe this is redundant or, um, you know, this is not really relevant to the story instead of saying, OK, I'm going to cut this down. I think it's really important to send it back to them and say, hey, is there a way to get this to 500 words in a way that actually preserves the integrity of the story? Can you take a pass at it first so that I have an idea of what components of this are really important to you? And then maybe we can workshop this back and forth because it can be really discouraging to kind of have an editor send you back your work and have them cut elements of the story that they felt were insignificant or they felt were redundant that were actually really key to the integrity of, of your narrative. Thank you so much. And I was going to point to you, Greg, if you want to weigh in on this question too, because I know you probably have lots of perspective on this. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I just finished editing a book where I've got like almost 20 people in it who have all of their different ideas and their perspectives and whatever. And they're Black people and their experience is coming from a place where, you know, some of the initial edits and suggestions that I made on things that needed to be changed or removed or, or whatever... And folks came back and be like, no, this is critically important and this is why. So if editing isn't a conversation, if editing is a dictatorship, then that's the point at which you injure the voice. And I think that 
more than anything else, we have to treat the editing process as a collaborative, cooperative conversation mm -hmm. as opposed to this is what I need to see as the editor. This is the editorial voice that I'm seeking to go forward. And I don't have space to accommodate your fifis in the midst of all of this. So we've got to be cautious and make sure that the end product is comfortable for the writer and that it still is able to fulfill the general idea of what the editor needs, but not so much so that the editor's needs supersede that of the contributor. Totally. And 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 before we move on, actually, Adora, I actually want to actually ask you, being an individual that's, again, always on stage, um, performing on stage, doing your comedy, how important is it from your perspective to make sure that you have the freedom as a comedian to tell your jokes, tell your narratives and tell your stories from your perspective? And, and also, how do you ensure that? whenever you are approaching your stages? Oh, it's the most important to me is that I can be authentic and genuine and say anything I want. I also understand that that is a privilege and I have to be responsible with it. And so I don't use black women as a punchline because we ain't. Right. Uh, I also, I know that there are many people who will not put me on stage because I don't do so. I know that there are lots of people who will not put me on stage because I love a bunch up. And so uh, those are the stages that I go to. And if people don't want to hear me, I create my own space. And so I did that February 13th. I, I had a show called Snickers, a punch up comedy event. That is what's going to become uh, an open mic. And I kind of use Snickers because I mean, I'm kind of cheeky. Um, and because I'm on the stage all the time, people will give me their feedback right away. Sometimes it's difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, and I very much so in comedy am like, if you want a better story, if you want a better joke, give me a better experience. So that's not the story I'm telling. Because mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie and say, you know, 70s in Calgary, nobody said the N-word to me. They were using it hard ER. And that's part of why I don't hard ER in comedy. Because I sound like Karen and lots of people want to hear Karen say that. Uh, but I am also hoping that people will think about the joke. And so I've been doing a joke for about seven years that uh, I call the Asquake. People want to say it's the twerk. I'm like, Asquake was before twerk. I do isolations on my bum. Really, the the joke is about how people, it's an awkward experience to meet somebody the first time. And so if you think it's awkward with me, why would you come up behind me and touch my bum? Because my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. And quite frankly, I do it all back because then I can talk about how people do not care about what my experience is because they cannot see my face and they are not seeking it out. All they are seeking is to objectify me. And so this is why it is very important for me to be able to control what I say, for me to write my jokes or collaborate with people that I think are going to create something that uh, is going to be impactful 
and enjoyable, even if it's uncomfortable. Comedy is uncomfortable the majority of the time. Why are they saying I'm uncomfortable? Now, if you want to know where to find black comedians, I mean, here I am. There's two black women in Alberta. Hmm. I have been the only black woman 13 years. I think there was another woman. I think she's under five years. And so it is so important for us to talk about our experiences within comedy because how do we find out how we make more space, how we make more opportunities, how we have more access and support? So important. Also, when we are talking about editing ourselves, what do we want out there? And what are we willing to deal with? So sometimes I... You know, I have a joke. Uh, my name is N-W-O-F-O-R. That's six letters. It starts with an N and ends with an R. What else does? Wofor. That's that's how we go end it here. But it's very important because nobody else would really be able to hone in on that. And so I would like to see more Black people in every kind of authority because we've been tokenized so long that it's really difficult to bring somebody else up. It was really difficult for us to be authentic and do and say what we want because we are not supported. We are constantly proving, and we don't have to do that anymore. The proof is in the pudding. We're the blueprint and everything incredible is being appropriated from us. I shouldn't say everything, but you know, a lot of stuff. <laughs> A hundred percent. And again, uh, Adora, I, I, I'm a big fan of the way you phrase things and your analogies because um, you hit it right on its head across the board. So thank you so much. Um, a, a quick little housekeeping. If you guys have any questions, please um, populate that on your channel, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll kind of get down to the list. Um, and so moving on to sort of the next question that comes down, um, and this question is directed to all the panelists. Um, Joanna asks sort of what is your number one recommendation um, for who to read, what to see, and where to find content from Black Canadians? And so maybe we'll have uh, Greg, you kick us off on that. Well, I don't know if you guys spotted me, you know, looking around on my bookshelf that I've got lined up behind me because I have many books about the Black Canadian experience all across my bookshelf uh, from, you know, from all over the, all over the, all over the country. So I pulled five books off of my bookshelf. I know you said there, there's one, but this is, like I said, we are not a monolith. There's no one book that's going to do it. So you got to pull it together in pieces. The first piece that I would give you is this amazing piece right here by Afua Cooper, her, her magnificent work, The Hanging of Angelique, that talks about the history of slavery in Canada. And I say we start here because, of course, with so much that happens in our community, it begins with slavery. But it's really important that people understand the history of the institution in this country, not talk about Caribbean slavery or American slavery. And you see how thick this book is? There's a whole leap to tell. And so if anybody tried to tell you, oh, slavery wasn't that big of a deal in Canada, tell them to read The Hanging of Angelique and then lick them in their head for telling you something so stupid. The next thing that I would give you is The Great Black North, uh, edited by Kavan Cameron. 
um, and uh, and Valerie Mason John. This collection came out in 2013. This is uh, the first ever contemporary collection of Black Canadian poets from across the country in all of the different disciplines, page poetry, slam, dub, spoken word, all of it. It's all in here and all of the top poets. There's like a hundred poets. I don't know how many. There's so many poets in this book. You want to have a good sense of where Canadian black poetry is right now? Read this book. The third book is actually answering another question that was asked um, earlier, which was around how difficult it can be to find stories about black people on the prairies. This wonderful volume that was done um, by Karina Vernon, which is the Black Prairie Archives. And this is an anthology of stories and of creativity that comes straight from the prairies. Again, you see how thick this book is? There is a whole lot that is here that people can sink their teeth into to get a better sense of the Black experience on the prairies. So that's the third book. The fourth one was put out just a couple of years ago with some stories and some some uh, some kind of narratives, a little bit of creative stuff. This was edited by Whitney French, which is called Black Writers Matter. This was a really excellent anthology that was done, and folks can take a look at that. And then the final book that I took was this one that's done very recently. It's called Anthology: Perspectives of Black Canadian Poets. And it was edited by a guy named Greg Frankson, but it has poets and their stories and the power of the stories that are in this book to take us to the next level of where we need to go as a community. If you want to get started and have a good sense of what's happening in the black community and where we've been and where we're going, start with these five books. Like, oh, thank you. I, I, I noted three of those books that um, I need to get and, and, and make sure I consume. So thank you so much for sharing all those insights, Greg. And maybe, uh, Tommy, I don't know if you have um, some books or resources to point people towards who also might be looking for added information to read and consume. Yeah, unfortunately for me, Greg is so well read. And so like just listed off like these amazing resources. I'm like, I have like one. Um, but yes, highly, highly recommend the Black Prairie, uh, Prairie Archives. I That was just such a game changer for me and kind of my journey of really understanding a little bit more about like, wow, Black people on the prairies exist. It's not just me and like a handful of other people. And it, that was, I really, really loved that. Also a big fan of um, Omira Issa, a really great journalist who did the entire um, Black on the Prairies project. Um, and so that, there were some really, really great stories in there. And just um, her reporting work is just, is awesome. So highly recommend checking that out as well. Cool. Thank you. And um, uh, moving to yourself, uh, Adora, do you have any resources or books that you'd recommend for people to consume um, that might be wanting to learn more, understand more, or just get more perspective in yeah. education? Uh, and so, listen, I, I went straight to Google. I went straight to Google, um, and I found a fellow Calgarian who no longer resides here. I wonder why. Um, I wrote it. I wrote it here. Uh, Washington Black by Essie Edguan. Okay. Fellow Calgarian. 
uh, has, I don't remember the prize that she won in Canada, but she's award-winning author in Canada. Uh, I also chose Hurricane Summer by Asha Broomfield, uh, another black woman author. Um, Angry Queer Somali Boy, a complicated memoir by Mohammed uh, Abdul Karim Ali, because uh, black queer stories, we don't hear them, we don't hear them enough, and um, queer is African, queer is black, and deserves to thrive and have full whole lives. Um, and then uh, my friend just put out, oh geez, of course I'm gonna offer Saga Boy by oh uh john orpheus cool. uh he's also a musician and and so i feel like there you'll be able to find something whether it's fun whether it's heavy what there's so many things and truly i know about some of these books but i i truly went into google and i said black canadian authors and i got 17 authors from February 8th, 2022. That's when the article came out. And so Greg told me it, so many books. So, so, so many books. Um, no, totally. And 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 just just to quickly add to to the same thing, I'll, I'll point to one resource. Um, I'm one of the co-founders with another individual who's in this thread uh, named Greg Davis um, around a local magazine called Melnistic Magazine. Um, which is a publication that comes out here in Alberta. And so it's a great resource where we try to amplify certain stories that's happening within each of our communities here in Edmonton um, and also in Calgary. And so I think that's also a great resource if you're trying to kind of listen to and, and learn more about what's happening in some of the smaller areas and things like that. Uh, okay, so moving down the road with some questions. Let's see. Um, Kind of scrolling through. Okay, a lot of comments and people thanking. So not too many other questions are being populated. So maybe um, as again, for everyone who has any questions, feel free to populate it, but maybe for all of the panelists here, I'm kind of curious if you guys all could take maybe um, like about two minutes and kind of share some like last thoughts that you want to leave everyone with just in reference to, again, Moving on into this new year as Black History Month is wrapping up, what are some like last thoughts, last minute, uh, possibly questions that you might have? And before we do that, um, maybe I'll, I'll quickly ask this question to yourself, Adora, around mm. what are the best suggestions to engage non-Black folks who present innocent by association? Uh, so I'm going to say how I do it, which might not make every black person feel safe when they're doing it. Uh, if somebody tells me that they're innocent by association, I ask them, do you want to be black? And I have never heard anybody who is not fetishizing blackness say yes. And so quite frankly, it really makes the person feel like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? Uh, a safer way to do so is to let people know that, okay, racism is also systematic. It's not just a microaggression, it's a macroaggression, so it's systematic, so it can happen um, when we watch TV, when we look at 
uh, media, when we are seeing news articles or marketing or going into a store or hmm, Black History Month, when my kids don't get Black History Month at school. And so all of those places are actual racism. And so if we want to do something to change racism, silence is compliance. You can also tell them that. So if you're innocent because you have not done anything, you are now guilty because you didn't say anything and you allowed it to continue. And lastly, the only way to get rid of racism is to be anti-racist. The only way to say I am not part of the problem is to actively be anti-racist, which plethora of things. We've been talking about anti-racism for a long time. So get on Google. You can find a few things. Uh, stop asking your friends. <laughs> please, 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 please stop asking your friends. They told you 49 times you ain't done nothing. Put down your money. Stand in front when we are allowing you, when, when we are in harm, please don't stand in front of us. When we are speaking to help, it's not, it's, it's not helping. Uh, and so if somebody feels like I haven't done anything, a safe way to say uh, you are not innocent by association is what are you doing? What do you think that you can do to make it so that I am not facing racism? And you know, if this is your friend who's asking you and you feel comfortable, I would say, what are you, what would you do if somebody called me the N-word? What would you do if there was overt racism? Because if you don't have an answer for that, you are not innocent uh, because you're associated with me. Uh, and please never, 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 never make yourself innocent by using another black person. We cannot have black people standing in front of black people to allow racism, it's ridiculous. And like I said previously, we are all on a journey. Not every black person understands everything about racism. Me, myself, I was born in it. There is not a moment of my life that I was allowed to develop and figure out who I am and what I wanna be while I was amongst black people. It is not a privilege. It is not a privilege. It is a privilege for me to sound like an evil woman or to not have this awful Jamaican, is this, it sounds like Scottish accent. Um, and so if you want to be innocent by association, the only way that you could do so is to be a black person who is associated with another black person actively being anti-racist. Yeah. And so let me just jump in on this too, because, you know, I do, because, <laughs> you know, I, I, I Adora always kind of knocks it out the park and then I'm just like, and another thing, you know, after Adora's done, but, um, but no, but really this is, you know, and, and I manifest this kind of, this kind of conversation and confrontation that Adora is referring to by saying, I just, I asked them, are you, are you not racist or are you an anti-racist? That's my question. That's what I say to them. Are you not racist or are you an anti-racist? Because if you are not racist, all that comment means is that you are not actively doing things to harm black people or other people of color based upon their racial identity. While that is a good thing that you're not doing that, it also means that you are not doing anything to prevent those kinds of things from happening either. You're sitting on your hands. You're on the sidelines. You're not doing nothing. So what are you going to do to fix 
the problem. And if you're not engaged in thinking about engaging with others, about acting on your own or in concert with others, about actively combating racism in some way, shape, or form as a part of who you are and what you do, then you are not helping to solve the blasted problem. The other thing that I wanted to comment on was I know that the ladiescorner.ca comment that was up was like how can black people show up as black people authentically every day I think mm. I think this is kind of a slippery question to be honest because the first thing you have to ask is what does it mean to show up and then you have to ask what does authenticity mean and then you have to ask what do you mean by black because if you're showing up as an authentic black person, who's defined what an authentic black person is? Who's identified what that authentic black experience is supposed to look like? If we are not a monolith, how can there be a definably black experience or a black perspective or a black way to be? There are multiplicities of that. Mm. And so showing up authentically as, as a black person every day means showing up as yourself authentically mm. every day. And if you are in a place where you do not feel like you can authentically be yourself, you are in the wrong place. Find that place where you can authentically be yourself. And when you show up in those places and in those spaces and you are doing so in a way in which you are expressing your blackness, then you are authentically showing up as black. There is no other way to define it. I can't tell you how to be black. Your mother can't tell you how to be black. Your school can't tell you how to be black. The prime minister, blood seed, the prime minister cannot tell you how to be black. So that, that's what I would say to that. I think Find that yourself. Sorry, yeah, no, I didn't want to cut you off there. I think that, you know, this question also speaks to a really important, um, something that, you know, so many people take for granted, which is the, the notion that um, everybody knows how to be authentic and everybody knows how to be themselves. And, mm -hmm. you know, or kind of mentioned notion to this a little, a bit earlier about um, sort of having the luxury, not having the luxury of kind of not being born into this. I remember having a conversation with my mom and her saying, I didn't know I was black until I came to Canada. I was just a woman. I was just a person. Whereas for me, I, I didn't know my own humanity until I was an adult. I was not, I did not have the luxury of seeing myself as just a human being. The second I was born into this world because I was born into whiteness, I knew what I was. I knew I was something other. I knew I was something that wasn't gonna work and I had to spend my whole life fixing it. And I built my entire personality, I built my entire identity around fixing this problem that I had. And that problem was me. And so I think the question of, you know, how do we show up authentically, that one really hits home for me because I've been really trying to work hard about at figuring out what that actually means for me, figuring out what does, 
what does an identity that's not built around trying to disappear actually look like? Like, how do I actually show up in a way where I'm not trying to erase myself constantly? And I think that that's something that a lot of people who, a lot of Black folks who were born here um, and maybe weren't surrounded by a Black community have to wrestle with every day. Oh, all of you are just hitting such important points, notions, ideas, and conversations, because when I have discussions with people that are first generation, second generation Canadians that grew up in small towns and they're trying to unpack their identity, they struggle. When I speak to individuals that are um, coming from a different perspective um, that are either first time coming to this country and learning how they're now being blanketed or, or putting on their shoulders these stereotypes, these assumptions, they're also battling that experience of then questioning themselves and, and everything that everyone is saying is so important to kind of unpack, understand and develop. As I, I'm doing a quick little time check, as we have about only five minutes, I, I would love everyone, again, just to go kind of around in a circle to take uh, 30 seconds or so to really, I guess, communicate any last sentiments, any last questions, any last thoughts that you want to share to everyone that's kind of online right now listening to this or who might be consuming this later. And if you want, please take like 30, 45 seconds. Um, and maybe we'll start off with uh, Dora. Uh, I really want to say that uh, Black people, like as the president of Black Lives Matter, uh, as an anthropologist, as somebody who has been studying this and an old person here, uh, if you're alive, you're being Black. You, it does not have to fit into any place uh, because we are the blueprint. Everything that we do is authentically Black. And though it might not seem that way, though people might try to discredit us, that is not true. And so if you're alive and if you're living your life, I mean, if you sound like Karen, you can still be authentically Black. Uh, I also want to say that if we are not alive, there's no way for us to change. There's no way for us to grow. And I just want to say I love being Black. And it is never, um, please tell me, it is not to say that you are saying that is innately a problem. Uh, Racism is the problem. And people like Tomi and I who are born here are socialized to believe that the blackness is the problem. It is not. So I want you to embrace it, whether you seem weird or odd or um, stuffy or whatever it may be. Whatever your black is, is good. I'm proud of you. Uh, I want to reach out to black folks. And quite frankly, I want Emancipation Day to be bigger than Carrie Fest. And I'm going to try and do that here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So come find me. Let's make it 200, 300, a million people strong. Bigger than Stampede. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dora. Let's go to uh, Greg. Uh, last kind of uh, information segments or, or just things you want to share with everybody. I'll just say three things really quick. Number one, get your copy of African Anthology if you haven't gotten it yet. Number two, we need to have more conversations like this uh, every week of the year. And the third bit, I will just conclude my contribution with a poem. It's called Fortitude Prayer. 
My body is a temple that I honor with respect and treat like a blessing from above. My mind is the power and foundation I set made of strength, intelligence, and love. My life is like a canvas. My experience is paint, a work of art I'm proud to display. My soul is God's gift that he bestows without restraint and guides my heart through each day. Lord, grant us the wisdom, fidelity, and pride to clear our own paths to the light. And may we reach our goals with our people in stride who keep the same vision in sight. For when I'm at the mountaintop, the vista is clear, and Africa calls out its refrain. God grants our great people elevation over fear and the unity to reign once again. Mm. <laughs> Tell me. Um, that was beautiful. Thank you so much, everyone, for your thoughts and for this great conversation. I just, um, yeah, I want to echo what everybody's saying. I think more of these conversations, um, more opportunities and spaces for community so we can just exist um, without fear. I think uh, Blackness is just so divine and, and beautiful and wonderful and spaces like this um, just are so life-giving. And so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for everybody for coming to this conversation. And um, yeah, it's been awesome. Perfect. So as we kind of wrap things up, I just want to say thank you so much for all of the panelists um, to for coming out, having this conversation, um, showing up authentically yourselves and really sharing some insights, sharing some of your experiences and sharing your knowledge with everyone today because um, that is so important. I also want to shout out a special somebody, T, um, from Ladies' Quarter Canada for curating this group and for putting on this conversation because without us being able to come together around these discussions to meet one another, to, to, to hear some of our lived experiences, um, this is so valuable and provides us hopefully with a little bit more of inspiration, a little bit more perspective, and also an understanding that we're not alone as we're all on a different journey, but going the same direction. And then last but not least, I just want to also say to Stride, um, see, I just want to also say a special shout out and thank you for allowing us to have this conversation and for us, for providing kind of this stage and opportunity to elevate these discussions and conversations. And as well, I want to put out a little challenge um, to organizations such as yourselves and also for everyone that's tuning in to dial up these discussions and conversations, not just at this time of the year, but throughout the year. I think if you connect with people and individuals such as like T to help bring these items to fruition, it will allow it to be accessible and allow it to be brought together so that it's that much more well attended and that much more different voices and different conversations to elevate some of these experiences to ladder for a more engaged and sort of productive community as a whole. Because as we move through this idea of a, a stronger Canada, I mean, diversity is at the bedrock of that. That will only make us stronger and more important. So I just want to also thank you for um, being part of this discussion and conversation. And then last but not least, I want to thank all of the listeners out there. You know, it's Friday night and you could be anywhere right now doing anything out there because we're all busy, but you chose to be here to listen to this discussion, to learn more about these panelists. And I will actually again, challenge all of you to follow and engage with all of the panelists because as you clearly hear, they're all highly educated. They're doing amazing things throughout their lives. And then more importantly, 
they're just starting. And there's much work to be done amongst projects, initiatives. And so I implore all of you for tuning into this kind of conversation. And I also, again, would push you all to follow these individuals, be part of the conversations, drop them a DM and ask them smart questions. Thank you everybody for tuning in and hope to connect with all of you soon. Hey, hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and uh, make sure you, you follow us everywhere at ladiescorner.ca. I'll see you on the next episode.